You know, you men are making a lot of money in this town. That's good, that's good. Good for you. In the meantime, a lot of decent people are suffering. But please, don't let me take up any more of your precious time. I tell you, I'm suffering from a hangover. Hi, everybody. My name's Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. Opened up with that clip from the movie Tombstone in honor of uh, the late Bill Paxton, who left us last week. You know, uh, he's suffering from a hangover in that scene. I was looking for uh, how many scenes I have with Bill Paxton. I don't have very many that I've used in the past. I thought I might have something from Twister, but apparently uh, I had never clipped that. Um, but, you know, I thought about using some clips from uh, to represent last week's Academy Awards. But surprisingly, Don and I had only seen one movie that was nominated that I'm aware of. I don't think uh, certainly one that won. Hacksaw Ridge was the only one we saw, which is a great movie. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Uh, but since it's not out on video yet, the clips were limited, and uh, the sound on the one I wanted was not that was not that clean. So uh, we'll get we'll get to using some of those as soon as it comes out. That's a good that's a good clip. But anyway, uh, uh, we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about some of the stuff that happened in the last seven days. And actually, we're gonna talk uh, in the first half. We're gonna talk about so- something that happened a year and three months ago in the city of San Bernardino. But it's uh, it's something that we all need to be aware of. Um, because if you're listening in the Inland Empire, it's right in your backyard. And if you're listening in L.A., Orange County, um, it's an hour away, and you probably have uh, you probably have friends and friends and relatives that live in this area, um, and it's uh, and it's important. But uh, first. Let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender with offices all over Southern California. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities in California or Arizona and soon, pretty soon Nevada, uh, you need financing. Call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020, day or night. Toll free, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get in touch with me, but you don't want to talk on the phone because you're calling from work and you're stealing time from your boss, or you just don't want your neighbors to know your personal business, go to WCCLoans.com, click on Loan Center, and there'll be a tab there called Apply Now. Click on that, give me as much information as you want me to have, and tell me how much information you want back from me. And you'll hear back from uh, from either myself or one of my teammates, and we will uh, help fill in the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. If there's any part of the show you want repeated, you can go to edhoffman.net. I got a lot of websites here. Uh, go to edhoffman.net and click on the podcast page. You can listen to it on demand anytime. Or you can go to the main event podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, and you can actually subscribe for free. I think you can do that on podcast on uh, on uh, SoundCloud. I know you can do it on iTunes. So uh, if you got an iPhone or an Android or a computer or anything else that you can get iTunes on, um, you can go there and uh, subscribe for free. It'll download once a week. When, when we upload it, it'll download to your, your device. You can listen anytime you want. Uh, be sure to connect with the show on social media. Follow me on Twitter at... Ed Hoffman, at Ed Hoffman, where I uh, tweet about current events all week long and like the show at Facebook, facebook.com slash the main event, Ed Hoffman. And, uh, you know, some of you out there are, uh, are, uh, are following me and sometimes you throw me some, throw me some, uh, slow, send me some information to let me know that you're listening and you like it. And sometimes you guys tell me, uh, you don't think I'm, uh, don't think very much of my opinions, but you know what? Everybody's entitled to your opinion, and I think everybody's entitled to mine. So you just you just listen. I got the mic right now, and I think uh, if you're listening, if you're if you're listening, and you hear something that sounds like I think like you, 
Call me when you need real estate financing because that's what I do. Hey, um, so first, the first thing I want to do is touch on uh, uh, last weekend we had our WCC Charities Gala and auction. Uh, it was a huge success. We raised about $55,000 uh, that will net out about 40 after we pay all the uh, all the expenses uh nothing to anybody but it's uh we had to pay the victoria club who uh, provided a beautiful venue and a and a awesome dinner was delicious and uh and then we had we had some great stuff uh the proceeds are going to the gary sinise foundation to assist wounded veterans also uh thanks to everyone who came out and bid on our auction items we have some photos on the event at social media on facebook.com wcc charities and on twitter at wcc charities and of course our website wccharities.org you need to take notes on how many websites i'm going to talk about here because we can't commingle all the stuff that we do but we had a great time we had uh artist uh Greg Adamson uh, painted a picture live there. We uh, auctioned it off. Uh, we had uh, uh, Staff Sergeant Joey Jones, who's on on my uh, show regularly, was actually in the studio last week. He uh, he he uh, actually talked to the people. We had uh, Nick Kimmel, who's a uh, who's a Marine e- uh, EOD technician. Uh, triple amputee that has a smart home from the Gary Sinise Foundation down in Temecula, and uh, he he talked about uh, what the smart home has done for him in addition to uh you know his experience it was really it was a really a great night so uh for those of you that didn't get a chance to uh to attend make sure and uh join us next year and for those of you that did thank you for your support and uh if you watch our wccharities.org i'm going to post last year's bank statements um so everybody can see that every dollar that came in Every dollar went out and it didn't go out to anybody. Got Nobody got paid. All went to the charities that we support. Um, I know that some of the bigger charities need to have, have more costs, and I don't, I don't fault them for that, but um, we're not the Wounded Warrior Project or any of those big ones that needs a full staff. So uh, I just let my staff at Wholesale Capital, actually, they're on Wholesale Capital's payroll, but when they're working for WCC charities, they're... Wholesale Capital is donating their time. So anyway, let's uh, let's talk about. For those of you that don't, let's talk about what's what's going on here. For those of you that don't know, I record this show in San Bernardino, about three miles away from the December second, two thousand fifteen terror attack, which took the lives of fourteen San Bernardino County employees. Actually, there was fifteen humans, uh, as one of the one of the women that died had a uh, unborn child inside her. I don't know that that's uh, was very well publicized, but some of the victims are still with us. 33 people that were present and didn't get shot, 22 people who survived the injuries they sustained, the 22 people, when those when those two pieces of garbage, insect, Muslim extremist terrorist, uh, one uh, Saeed Farouk, who is the county employee uh, health inspector, and his, uh, and his unvetted uh, Muslim wife who came from somewhere in the Middle East, they, they met on the internet on some terrorist uh, sites, and he he went back. He went to the Middle East. I don't know if it. Was, I don't remember if it was Iran or Iraq because it's not important right now. But we talked about this a year ago, and uh, and brought her back. And she proceeded to to uh, radicalize her husband. And the two of those the two of those insects went in and uh, shot and shot and shot uh, people that actually had welcomed them into their their lives. And uh, now, now there's a group formed to advocate for those survivors called San Bernardino Survivors Speak Out, 
And uh, joining me in the studio is a uh, volunteer citizen advocate, uh, Bob Fredericks, who's uh, we've all also known each other for about a year. And uh, Bob is a certified financial planner, uh, basically does uh, group insurance and various other financial products. But uh, but we we have Bob in here to talk about um, that he's involved in this uh, in this as a citizen advocate. First of all, Bob, thanks for coming to our charity event last week. And that was fantastic, an incredible event. And uh, Greg Adams uh, painting uh, on the fly in what, about 10 minutes on mm-hmm. that five foot by eight foot uh, piece of canvas, uh, an eagle with the background American flag. That was just uh, spectacular. Greg Adamson. Adamson. So if those of you guys want to see anything from Greg Adamson, he's our, he's our local artist. That uh, he's, he's awesome. I actually have a painting in our lobby of Ronald Reagan plus uh plus we have a I have had him I bought a portrait he did of of uh Paul McCartney and one of John Lennon and I actually had him paint a portrait of my wife and I don't know that he'd actually met her yet I sent him a bunch of face shots and had her you know and I had him do a portrait of her and I gave it to her for Christmas and sir and surprisingly surprisingly to me I thought she'd like that she goes a picture of myself? What do I want a picture of myself for? Okay. Let's just change the card. You gave this to me then. All right. I liked it. It's beautiful. But my wife is beautiful too. So uh so let's talk let's let's talk about um we're gonna play some clips. We're gonna play some clips from some of the survivors telling their stories uh in a minute. But first tell tell us what's happening. What services are being denied to these two twenty twenty two survivors? Uh Bob, tell us tell us what the situation is. Yeah, uh, the situation is that these uh, survivors have uh, found themselves having medical uh, treatments uh, being denied by the county of San Bernardino's self-funded uh, workers' comp program and its uh, utilization uh, review. And so uh, that could be de- denying surgeries, physical therapy, psychiatric and psychological um, counseling, as well as uh, prescriptions. Okay, so... So 14, 14 and a half people got killed and and they took up collections and they pay and they got their funds and they paid those families for their losses. But now there's there's people that were there that got shot, people there that were traumatized, and some people there. We also talked about earlier that that uh, we I'll let you go into that in a little bit. But actually, people that weren't there that were traumatized because they weren't there. The guilt, the for what you know the the post-traumatic stress of of that whole situation that they should have been there what if they would have been there um who would have maybe lived if they were there you know everybody has guilt when when someone they love dies and uh and uh you know other than you know just old age natural causes um and they're they're having problems getting treated for what for let's start with the people that that are actually that actually got shot they're not being covered for their medical? It's not that they're not being uh, covered for the medical, but it's uh, what they are not being treated for. So uh, in the immediate aftermath and the obvious uh, needs of the, of the people that were shot, you know, um, taking care of them physically, you know, the county, to its credit, did you know, uh, everything in covering those medical services, um, hospitalizations and surgeries and rehab and things like that. That was for about three months. Then um, the process called utilization review kicked in and people found themselves starting to have uh, medical services denied. However, for those that were traumatized, those people <clears throat> uh, present, not shot, um, and the county literally from December going forward has uh, denied um, a lot of those 
people um, psychiatric visits, psychological counseling, medications, which uh, compounds the uh, PTSD you know, th- that they come to have. Psychologists have uh, said that uh, PTSD um, ideally would be treated within 72 hours, um, and if it goes untreated for five months, you have a downward spiral where it goes from episodic to acute chronic, uh, then to irreversible. So um, one person was was, uh, denied uh, treatments for a year. Um, He's passed that five months, uh, and I think we could probably think that maybe he'll have PSD for the rest of his life because of these uh, denials and delays. Yeah, I know uh, in dealing with uh, the the injured veterans uh, causes that that I have, um, a lot of people don't realize that some of these uh, veterans come home from, from war and they didn't get shot, they didn't get run over, and they didn't get exploded. And but they they served their time. They saw things that we can't even imagine, and stuff that stuff that we hear about, and stuff that we don't hear about. And they may look look completely uh, completely normal, but we don't know what's going in their heads. And when they're waking up in the middle of the night with with uh, nightmares and all this stuff, and somebody has to account for that. And I would think it would be no different sitting in a room and watching one of your one of your one of your fellow employees come in with AK AK uh, AR15s and uh with hey here's here's uh Saeed and his wife are coming in hey what are they shooting everybody for that's that's got to be that's got to be traumatic and I'm I'm surprised that some someone like the county would not recognize that well, they, you know, there are degrees of recognition. Let's just say that um, when you're in a, f- a bureaucratic fog, uh, you can't see the uh, details and um, you, you may not know what to do or it may be what you don't want to do. Yeah, but the, uh, you think the, the county, county workers are the first ones to get uh, days off for this, days off for that. Uh, paternity leave, which a family leave, you know, hey, you know what, when your wife has a, has a, has a baby, you have to take six weeks off so you can bond with your child. I don't know. I don't. I don't think. I don't think my parents got that time off to bond with me when I was a little kid. And I know when, when uh, my kids were born, I didn't get. I mean, I took some vacation time, but you know, taking six weeks off. Come on, you know. And they're they're always the first in in the county. It's not like it's. Hey, well, if you're taking off time off work stuff isn't going to get done and that's you know we're that puts us in a big pickle on on getting our job done and that's not happening with the county I, that surprises me that the the county didn't jump on, on that effectively so let's talk let's talk about some some specifics well you know how did you get involved in this well um i got involved in this uh, because my wife um uh, julie uh knows one of the shooting survivors who has been one of the most visible uh people in giving interviews and that julie Piaz. so her her record is uh, well established and so uh, we knew the night of the shooting um uh, her family had uh, posted about the shooting we saw a picture of her in the hospital room after the eight-hour surgery surrounded by her family we visited her in the skilled nursing facility after mm-hmm. discharged from the hospital and after she was discharged from the um, hospital and went home my wife often would go and um, take lunch to julie um, at home and during that time my wife uh, was hearing from julie how her services were, were being denied 
Um, so that was probably around March. In November, my wife went over there and, and Julie said that there was a, had been a meeting with the uh, director of the county risk management department uh, the day before. And in um, that, as before, uh, all the monthly meetings, nothing uh, happened. Uh, the next day um, th that uh, after that, uh, there was an article in The Sun about that meeting, and there was a reporter present in that meeting who recorded the comments of the um, risk management director. And what he was uh, saying were things like, it's not the county, it's the Utilization Review Board, a very official sounding you know, title. There is no Utilization Review Board, it makes it sound like it's a, like a state agency. It's just a service of the county and it's a, a fully self-funded workers' comp program hires and evaluates the medical uh, necessity and efficacy of uh, healthcare. And he said, it's not us doing it, it's, it's a Utilization Review. There's nothing we can do. We can't override you know, a medical professional. Because basically, uh, government government is can't can't figure out how to get out of their own way, and there's no you know that's what I kind of like about President Trump. You know, it, he he doesn't worry about the de you know this and this is what, how the Democrats insult him. And, hey, he doesn't understand how politics works, and he says in in my eyes, hey, I don't care how it works. Let's figure it out because this has to get done. Which I think that we both agree with. Let's we don't care about how the rules work. These people have to get treated. Yeah, and and so what that uh, risk management director was saying, I saw in the now uh, popular uh, parlance, it was alternative fact, and, and so I was outraged to see that, and that really motivated me to to step forward and to be a volunteer, a citizen advocate on behalf of these people. Well, let's let's hear from some of these survivors now. Here's here's a CBS two report on Kevin Ortiz, who was a 24 year old newlywed on the day of the attack, who got shot seven times. It was almost a year ago, but it feels like it was honestly yesterday. So I try really hard just to block that out to get through my day. His attorney helped answer questions about what happened on December 2nd, how Kevin was shot seven times, how he played dead after the first time, but the shooter came back. Kevin was ultimately hit in both thighs, his shoulder, wrist, and back. Two of the bullets hit the two cell phones in his pockets, possibly saving his life. I'm just blessed to be alive. I am. And I thank God for that. Alive, but not necessarily well. Kevin suffers from the most severe form of PTSD. Effects from a battle he never signed up for. And his coworker, who he'd known for over a year, turned into his enemy. Everyone was really close, and um, we had really close bonds, and it, it really hurt. It hurts a lot still. Kevin now struggles to get out of bed in the morning, to leave his house and talk to strangers. Still, he's come a long way in a year. It took months just to walk again, with hundreds of pieces of shrapnel still in his back. Yeah, I can, ima I can imagine not just that a terrorist walked in, but this is a guy that, that everybody thought was their friend, that they actually, you know, worked together and thought that, you know, you think about, hey, your friend walked in, and then you start thinking about, what, what about all my other friends? Who, who else can I trust? I think that would give people uh, issues to the rest. Here's, here's Julie Paez, who's, who's, your, uh, who's your friend, a mother of three, whose pelvis was shattered by two gunshots. We were just standing, getting ready to take the picture. I think a couple pictures were taken when um, he came shooting through the room. These were the seconds when Julie Paez didn't know if she would live or die. Her co-worker and his wife opened the doors to their conference room and started shooting. At that time is when I actually I got down. I mean, I was not shot standing up and I was shot 
while I was down. Came back and shot me again. After the first shot, I knew I couldn't move. Um, because it went through my pubic bone and shattered my pelvis. Not sure if she would live, Julie texted her family. I said, um, I love you guys was shot. I figured, worst case, they hear I love you the last time. Best case, they knew to start looking for me. And finally, let's hear Fox News reporter report from uh, reporter Will Carr. He talks to victim Valerie Weber, who now lives with a paralyzed arm. You'll hear what he asked the San Bernardino County Supervisors. On December 2nd, 2015, two armed terrorists changed Valerie Weber's life forever. We locked eyes and they were cold and dark and she shot me and I went down. Apparently I was in and out of consciousness and they came back and shot me in the back as well. Emergency crews rushed Weber to the hospital after one bullet shattered her pelvis, another paralyzed her arm. In the first 30 days I had 20 surgeries and five blood transfusions. Now more than a year later, Weber still struggles with simple tasks. In the days after the attack, county leaders pledged to help. And we should continue to support them. All of us in San Bernardino County are one family. At first, San Bernardino raised almost two and a half million dollars, the majority going to the families of the deceased. Then the county placed dozens of survivors into the state workers' comp system, a network not meant to address battlefield-type wounds. That's when the victims started receiving stacks of medical denials, leading to lengthy gaps in critical treatment. Survivors and their family members now taking their frustrations to county meetings. Every day I wish I could turn back time. I wish I could walk into this building and be happy. Will Carwin. Fox News. Can we talk to you on camera about some of the problems? For weeks, county leaders have refused to answer our questions on camera. Our next speaker is Will Carr. Do you think that you've continued to support the victims? And uh, the apparently there was there was no uh, there was no uh, answer to that at that at that hearing because otherwise they would have put it. They plain it basically shows them getting up and not answering the question. Um, Bob, you gave us some other examples of challenges that survivors are facing. Um, Julie Piaz, explain explain Julie first of all the different how they're. You said they were they're looking for what she's allowed for her uh, physical therapy versus what really happened for a, a fractured hip versus what really happened. Yeah, in her situation, um, as I understand it, when she was discharged from the um, skilled nursing facility and a request was put in for uh, physical therapy after that, um, that the physical therapy was denied. Um, the reason cited was that um, a fractured hip, not a pulverized pelvis, but a fractured hip um, qualifies for only X amount of physical therapy sessions, which had been provided in the hospital, and thus um, was not eligible for those sessions when she was discharged. And uh, she didn't have a fractured hip. She had a whole shattered pelvis. A little bit different, but you know they gotta they have to be able to think outside the box. She told us about a guy whose knee was blown off and just and denied because arthritic knee is not eligible for this treatment. He didn't really have arthritic knee, did he? Yeah, I think uh, just like with Julie, you know, there wasn't um, a box in the utilization review process. And so, you know, the um, uh, the evaluator probably looks for the closest thing and then checks off the box. And whether it's actually, you know, accurate or not, at least some box has to be checked off. So a lot of this has been bureaucratic in nature. And uh, and then you told us uh, a man, a man who was ducking beneath the tables said he the spent shell casings were falling like snowflakes floating to the ground he was denied monthly uh, psychiatric consults 
uh, has personally paid for his weekly psychology consults at a cost of four to five thousand dollars. So they're just not they they can't they can't find anybody to to connect the dots. Um, well, it's like that, yes. And and then his uh, prescriptions uh, for PTSD uh, did not get uh, uh, filled until uh, December. And only uh, only after uh, a media show, um, you know, highlighted his situation, and then um, surprisingly, he got the medications. Uh, well, that well, at least whatever you got to do to get them. Uh, before we run out of time, how can listeners uh, who want to get involved? How can they yeah, get involved? Yeah. Um, well, first, I would suggest that they uh, go to the website uh, www.sb survivors.com um, or let me give you my cell phone 909-709-1621 uh, call me uh, send a text and um and then show up to the survivor the uh, board meeting of the county supervisors next tuesday uh, um, march uh, 7th at 9 45 and speak out in support of the survivors and we'll put some information on uh, on the website edhoffman.net click on that we'll put some information on that and we'll put a Bob's cell phone number and all that stuff so you can get in touch if you want to get involved. We'll talk more about this as it goes. Bob, thanks for coming in and talking to us, and we'll have you back to, uh, to uh, talk about this as it progresses. Hey, thank you for allowing me to be here and speaking on behalf of these survivors. All right, we're all out of time for part one of the main event. Don't go away. Five minutes of traffic, weather, and, and uh, commercials. We'll be right back. And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name's Ed Hoffman. President Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. I don't talk a lot about mortgages. I'm going to talk a little bit about mortgages on my shows going forward because I don't have as much dumb stuff to talk about that the government's doing. Uh, in my opinion, some of you guys in LA that uh, might have accidentally uh, stumbled onto this show probably have some disagreement with some of the things I say, but guess what? I don't care. So, because uh, <clears throat> the rest of you guys that are listening, you guys say, finally, somebody said it. All right. So welcome to the show. Hey, if you want to hear about, if you want to, if you need to get a mortgage and you need some financing and you say, I want to talk to that guy that, that sounds like he thinks like me, 855-640-2020, 855-640-2020. Um, whether you need to refinance, pull some money out, refinance to, uh, get rid of mortgage insurance, um, buy a new house, help your kid get out of your house so you can push them out of your basement because, hey, you got a job now. Let's go buy a house before the rates get any higher. Or if you're a senior uh, over 62 years old and you're looking for that, find out more about, more information about that reverse mortgage thing, um, call me. I'll get you all the, I'll tell you all the information. I'll dial it in for you. I'll help you uh, feel good about what you're doing for you. Because uh, <clears throat> those are good programs. Anyway, uh, hey, this uh, this week, this week we saw uh, Donald Trump give his address, his first uh, joint address to the joint, the joint. Well, I don't know what they call it, a joint address because you had all the senators and Congress people in the in uh, and all the House of Representatives had them all in Congress together. <clears throat> you don't see that, but uh, you know, once or twice a year. And this was Trump's first. Um, he gave his first address on Tuesday. Let's talk about some of the highlights. Personally, I was moved by something he said in the first three minutes. In nine years, the United States will celebrate the 250th anniversary of our founding. 250 years since the day we declared our independence. It will be one of the great milestones in the history of the world. But what will America look like as we reach our 250th year? 
What kind of country will we leave for our children? I will not allow the mistakes of recent decades past to define the course of our future. I completely agree. And you know what I think uh, what the uh, Democrats are so mad about is because they latched on to specifically in the last eight years. But when he says the last two decades, he's talking about uh, Clinton and Bush and and, uh, Obama. I'm sure he's uh, I'm sure he's not talking about Reagan because Reagan was uh, thought like he did. But um, well, maybe nobody really thinks like he does. But. I think the Democrats hooked their hooked their wagon to Obama that Obama was going to make some, some fundamental changes in America. But you know what? And I want to say, and I want to say, hey, you know what? Obama didn't know what he was talking about. He did know what he was talking about. He just didn't. He just doesn't believe America is the greatest country in the world. And he wanted to make get some reparations, and he wanted to make us more. He wanted to make us more. Um, uh, equal with everybody else in the world. He didn't want us to be to be uh, the greatest country in the world. He didn't want us to be the shining city on the on the hill. He wanted us to be, you know, just extraordinary like everybody else thinks they're extraordinary. You know, American exceptionalism is uh is uh no different than 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 English exceptionalism and no different than German exceptionalism and no different than Iraqi and Iranian and You know what? Yes it is. Yes, it is, and that's uh, that's uh, that's how I feel. Obama was never was never there to me. Obama never understood what it was to be an American, probably because he wasn't. Um, but you know, as an employer, of course, I like the I like Trump's comments on this. Right now, American companies are taxed at one of the highest rates anywhere in the world. My economic team is developing historic tax reform that will reduce the tax rate on our companies so they can compete and thrive anywhere and with anyone. It will be a big, big cut. At the same time, we will provide massive tax relief for the middle class. We must create a level playing field for American companies and our workers have to do it. You know, and he's he's talking more about corporate taxes, and what will that do for that? What will that do for America? Well, you know, there's a thing called trickle down economics that the Democrats always use that to to insult us. Oh, trickle that down economics. That doesn't mean hey, you know what? That's called capitalism, folks. You know what? What the government's job is to get out of the way. They're supposed to protect us from our foreign enemies, and they're supposed to uh, supposed to enforce the laws. And other than that, we're supposed to be a free country and free market capitalism. And the idea is let's cut taxes for corporations so corporations can have that money to expand their expand their footprint and hire more people and expand their business and create opportunities. The government doesn't create opportunities for the middle class or for the lower for the lower class. The they get out of the way and and create. An, an environment for the upper class, the rich people, the corporations to create opportunities for the middle class and the middle class, then the lower class gets jobs. And when they, they how does the, how do the, the poor people get into the middle class? They take jobs and they work really hard and they get promotions and they get raises and they get opportunities and they learn more and they, and that's how America works. With that in mind, as a result of those policies are the reason that this is happening. Since my election, Ford, Fiat Chrysler, General Motors, Sprint, SoftBank, Lockheed, Intel, Walmart, 
and many others have announced that they will invest billions and billions of dollars in the United States and will create tens of thousands of new American jobs. A big theme of the speech was unity, something Democrats like to think Trump doesn't believe in. Listen to all the times he referred to uh, working together and unity in his speech. I am here tonight to deliver a message of unity and strength, and it is a message deeply delivered from my heart. Why not join forces and finally get the job done and get it done right? Democrats and Republicans should get together and unite for the good of our country and for the good of the American people. I think about... uh... Uh, when Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton was elected and uh, he lost the, the House of Representatives and uh, Newt Gingrich became the the uh, Speaker of the House. And Clinton realized that now I don't have control of Congress. I'm going to have to move over to the I'm going to have to move over to the middle middle or we're not going to get anything done. You know what? There's a lot of things about Bill Clinton I don't like, but there are a few there. There's a whole bunch of things about Bill and Hillary I don't like. Um, basically the, the dishonesty of the stuff, but at least Bill Clinton did one thing smart as he understood that if, that his job was to accomplish something and if he was going to accomplish anything, he needed, he needed to come up, move over closer to the middle to be able to, to be able to work with Congress because you can't work it by yourself. And we just saw Obama go through eight years of never talking to Congress, you know, never, never talking to anybody, but Valerie Jarrett. I don't even think he talked to his wife in those eight years. Um, and I think about uh, Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan had to, uh, and Ronald Reagan came into presidency much the way Donald Trump did. The political establishment didn't like Ronald Reagan because he didn't come from the political establishment. And and he came in there kind of the way Trump did and made some quick changes and is, and made changes, but he had, a, had to work with Tip O'Neill, who was Speaker of the House, Democrat. And guess what? That's how the country works. Your job is to work for us, the Congress people, the the senators, and the president. They work for us. I know you don't like. I know. I know the president doesn't like Democrats, and I don't know like the Obama didn't like Republicans. But guess what? That's your job. That's your job. Make things happen. Get things done. And if that means there's a little bit of compromise here and there, then there's a little. You stand on your principles where it's important, and you make some compromises where you need to to make sure it goes through. So I guess Democrats aren't as excited about as unity about unity as they claim, because uh, you could hear them booing at one key moment. Um, it started started uh, when the president mentioned Americans being victimized by illegal immigrant crime. We are removing gang members, drug dealers, and criminals that threaten our communities and prey on our very innocent citizens. Any in Congress who do not believe we should enforce our laws, I would ask you this one question. What would you say to the American family that loses their jobs, their income, or their loved one because America refused to uphold its laws and defend its borders? Exactly. You know what? What do you... Oh, well, you know what? We don't need a... We don't need a wall. We don't... You know, it's... Let's let's take care of these people. They're nice people until somebody else gets killed as a result of it. Here comes the gasp and booze when the Democrats who don't like the idea of creating an office of, that helps victims of illegal immigrant crime. I have ordered the Department of Homeland Security to create an office to serve American victims. The office is called Voice Victims of Immigration Crime Engagement. We are providing a voice 
to those who have been ignored by our media and silenced by special interests. And I ask, and I ask, and if you're uh, if you're on tw- if you follow me on Twitter, um, I was live tweeting during part of it. What about that would would make the the Democrats boo? Oh my God, he's talking about about victims of of immigrant crime. Oh my God, hey, it's reality, folks. It's reality, you know. And uh, so there's a so what is it about um, having an office that takes care of those people? That pays attention to problems that we have in this country. Oh, boo! If you watched on TV, you got to saw the Democrats refuse to stand or even applaud. You know, they all—all all the Democrat women were wearing white jackets or white, uh, white shirts, white blouses, white something. You know, and it reminded me of when uh, we were in uh, Washington D.C. for the inauguration uh, on uh, on uh, in January and. All the women with all the angry women with the pink hats came in the day after the inauguration to uh, to protest, and you know it's 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 pitiful, it's pitiful. So uh, Democrats refuse to stand or even applaud at some of the most optimistic parts of the speech. I'm looking at screenshots of them sa- of now with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer, what a, what a moron! This guy is a is an absolute moron. Um, you know, and, uh, you got, um, uh, these two, these two, we got, uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Keith Ellison. Keith Ellison's the only Muslim in Congress and, uh, they're sitting together when uh, Trump said this. We're also taking strong measures to protect our nation from radical Islamic terrorism. We have seen the attacks in France, in Belgium, in Germany, and all over the world. We cannot allow a beachhead of terrorism to form inside America. We cannot allow our nation to become a sanctuary for extremists. That is why my administration has been working on improved vetting procedures, and we will shortly take new steps to keep our nation safe and to keep those out who will do us harm. And is there a problem with that, keeping people out that would do us harm? As we talked about in the uh, in the first half when we were talking about the San Bernardino County uh, terror attack last year, um, well, actually, the it was actually December second of two thousand fifteen. Um, what happens if we actually would have vetted these guys? What happens if they would have pulled up uh, Saeed Farouk's uh, Facebook posts? And his uh, Twitters, and what if they actually, before they allow, and say, well, they can't watch everybody's. And Saeed Farouk was a was a citizen, yeah, but he was he went out to get his, he left the country to go get his wife and bring her in. What if they would have just checked her out? And what if they just started with him? Well, she's coming back, the Tafshin Malik. She's coming back to marry Saeed Farouk. Let's just look at those two people on the on their uh, Facebook and Twitters and. Instagrams and whatever other uh, social media they have. And look, they would have seen that she's a radical and she radicalized him and 14 and a half people are dead in San Bernardino. And this happens over and over and over and over. Maybe the uh, Sarnayev brothers would have got caught. I mean, mean, uh, Vladimir Putin just about called uh, Barack Obama and said, hey, these two guys are up to no good. They're coming back to your country. They've been over here. Watch these guys. And we still didn't catch them. Maybe we should pay attention to that. So then you have uh, Kristen Gillibrand and Elizabeth Warren, so-called feminist, who stayed seated. They're sitting there with their, uh, sitting there, uh, you know, and they weren't wearing white. What was up with that? 
and the and the president announced something they should have been happy about. And with the help of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, we have formed a council with our neighbors in Canada to help ensure that women entrepreneurs have access to the networks, markets, and capital they need to start a business and live out their financial dreams. You know, what's interesting is uh, we saw we saw what the camera showed, and the camera was on Trump most of the time, and it would pan across the uh, it would pan across the 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 audience, the senators and congressmen, and you see the the great divide there, where a bunch of people sitting down, a bunch of people standing up, and uh, but Newt Gingrich said he was sitting in there on one side, and he's watching the Democrats, and slowly they started standing up and and clapping because you know what, there's nothing that that Trump said that was anti-American. There's really nothing that was offensive there. He just made a great speech that made you feel good to be American. Um, if you're like me and my wife, when he introduced uh, the uh, widow of Navy SEAL Ryan Owens, who uh, actually actually was killed about a month ago, about a month ago in a raid in, I think it was in January, uh, of a, a raid in, in Yemen. And this guy was 36 years old, had three kids, and he's on his 12th tour in the Middle East. So I wonder, hey, 12 tours in Iraq and Afghanistan and Yemen, the Middle East, when did you find time to make three kids? Apparently, uh, apparently the, uh, and he's only 36, but uh, he was killed in that in that raid. Apparently, the each tour may not, may not be a year. I thought they were. Um, but I'm not, I haven't been in the military, so I don't know. But, uh, he mentioned, he mentioned it and, and she got a six minute, six minute, I think it was two and a half minute standing ovation. Um, I will tell you that, uh, people talked about how moving that was. And Don and I were, uh, I don't know. There was something in my eye. I had water coming out down my cheeks. Um, cause I got, I think I got something in my, in my contact. My wife was crying, I think. And I know that, uh, I got some texts from people, I got some texts from someone who's on the phone on the radio with me occasionally and who said, I'm friggin' ballin'. And uh and uh uh it was a it was a it was a moving moment as she tried to hold it together. But I thought it was a little awkward. I thought the you know they they milked it a little bit. They milked it a little bit in that here's this lady who she's still grieving for her husband. He's only been gone a month. She gets invited by President Trump. Uh, to the White House, and they and he and he gives her some some uh, honor at the at the uh, at the session, and they kept and she's trying to keep it together. You can see she's trying to keep it together, and she's looking up and say "I love you, baby" to his to her husband, and and I think uh, I think it was probably kind of awkward for her. You know, I I think I asked I asked Don. I said if if I just got got killed and you were in that situation, would you want them to? to keep the camera on you for two and a half minutes, she'd say, no, 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 leave me alone, leave me alone. So I thought that was a little, I thought that was a little weird, but some liberals have actually managed to be offended by this moment. Here's Bill Maher talking to, uh, I think, uh, Chris Matthews. I'm also crazy about the response to that because like it was such a great moment. First of all, I wish um, she hadn't allowed herself to be used as his prop like that. And I don't see any great courage here. Where's the courage? Who, Who wouldn't stand and applaud for a war widow? Um, you know what? Used as a prop? 
I don't understand where that does anybody remember the Khan family, the five, the gold star family that was that Hillary Clinton brought up who actually works for the Clinton Foundation or has some connection to the Clinton Foundation who came up at the uh, Democratic National Commi- uh, com- um, the convention to actually talk about, you know, Donald Trump said he's uh, he's sacrificing his family is sacrificing. Uh, for him to run for president, I agree they are sacrificing. They're taking all kinds of all kinds of crap from from the Democrats. They don't need that in their lives. But I believe that Trump really had a calling that he needed that he wanted to help this country and knew that no one else had the had the guts. It's not the knowledge. I think it's the guts that he knew that the other people wouldn't make the hard decisions and and be able to stand up to the to the opposition. And he sacrificed in in uh, the Khan family. I forget the guy's first name. Talked about the that Donald Trump hasn't paid a price like we did because our son was a was a uh, a military guy who got killed in in Iraq or Afghanistan. And you know what? I feel bad for them, but you know what? That was a prop. That was a prop because that almost turned that almost turned the election uh, certainly turned the polls around for a couple weeks on Donald Trump there after the Democratic convention. So you know what? Hey, we're using that for a prop. Not everyone was as bitter as Bill Maher. I flipped it over to CNN and was surprised to hear uh, uh, Obama advisor David Axelrod actually even praising Trump's speech. And uh, and apparently he wasn't the only one. Um, let's hear a montage of positive feedback from all kinds of mainstream media and also and and. Uh, most of these years, I, I hear there's one voice, Chris Matthews is in there, but but also notice right at the very the very last one is Van Jones, who was talking about white lash when when we elected Trump. Listen to the very last one on this. This is about a minute and a half long. Uh, what Van Jones says right at the end. Donald Trump got some great reviews tonight. Many branding it the best of Mr. Trump's short political career. This was the best speech of his political career. This was probably, without a doubt, one of his best speeches that that, that I've ever heard. That was the most de- deliberate, disciplined speech I've ever seen him give. His short political career is the best speech he's given. Exactly. And it achieved what you want a good speech to do. Delivering an important, powerful speech. It was one of the best speeches in that setting I've ever heard any president give. I thought that was a winner politically. I think that's probably the reason he was elected in Michigan. Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio. It was very, very healing. And he said in the beginning that he was going to speak from his heart, and I certainly think he did that. We knew this about Trump. He knows how to dominate a room. And also using all the rhetorical and symbolic uh, tools at his disposal. It was engaging and interesting. It showed his heart and what he cares about. This will be, I think, a very well-received speech for Donald Trump. The reviews have been much more positive because this speech was so much more traditional. 57% of speech watchers had a very positive reaction. 82% of people who saw the speech called Mr. Trump presidential, including a majority of Democrats. 69% of speech watchers say his policies are going to move the country in the right direction. A pretty positive, overwhelmingly positive reaction to the president's speech. The night's most emotional moment, a standing ovation for Karen Owens. widow of Chief Petty Officer Ryan Owens. In terms of emotion, that clearly was a high point, and and he handled that very well. I mean, the most solemn responsibility of the Commander-in-Chief is to honor and to take care of veterans. He did that tonight. He, He became President of the United States in that moment, period. He became president of the United States at that moment. I think about one of the clips I use in my 9-11 special talking about uh, when uh, George Bush came out at the Yankee game um, and when the baseball started up and he threw out the first pitch and he said, hey, I didn't vote for him. But at that moment, 
he became my president. And you know, it's 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 these moments that are great moments in in uh, in American history. Then you know, when they say, hey, even a majority of Democrats, the people that wanted Hillary in there, the majority of them even said it was a he was presidential. So uh, hey, you know what, folks, this is where we're going. Uh, I wish we could just end it there, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the ex-governor. Uh, that the Democrats uh, got to deliver their televised response. Steve Bashir, he hasn't been in politics for the last two years, but he was asked to deliver the Democrat response to the president's address. Uh, I wonder why. Maybe because uh, he's old and white. In other words, uh, that's who they think the average Trump voter is. Look, I grew up in Kentucky in a small town called Dawson Springs. The America I love allowed a small town preacher's kid to be elected governor. And it taught me to embrace people who are different from me, not vilify them. And we Democrats are committed to creating the opportunity for every American to succeed. Mr. President, as a candidate, you promised to be a champion for families struggling to make ends meet. But one of your very first executive orders makes it harder for those families to even afford a mortgage. Yeah, well, I think he's full of full of it, and uh, I don't have time to go into all that. But you know, one of the things that other things that Steve Bashir said was that uh, um, was that you know, without the Affordable Care Act, they were talking about uh, uh, repealing and replacing Obamacare. Without the Affordable Care Act, 22 million people in Kentucky wouldn't have insurance. Well, guess what? If Obama didn't decide to shut down the coal mines and shut down the coal industry, 22 million guys over there would have jobs, and they come with insurance. Hey, everybody, keep your eyes open, keep your mind open, and especially if you're uh, in L.A., Orange County, and Democrat that, uh, that wandered, onto, uh, wandered onto my show, send me your comments. Uh, send me your comments on uh, social media. I'm out of time for this uh, episode of The Main Event. My name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening to The Main Event. I'll be back again with you next week. The content in this program is not intended to be legal advice. The views expressed are those of Ed Hoffman and his invited guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of Wholesale Capital Corporation. WCC is licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate Broker License Number 01147747 and California Finance Lenders License Number 603K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions. MB Number 096199.